Now, you know, you want certain levels of success, but if I have to attain it and be the only one and I didn't help anyone else get in the room with me, then I don't feel like that's successful. You're now tuned in to the Girl Behind the Hustle podcast, the podcast created to encourage, celebrate, and share real stories from the women behind the hustle. I am your host, Lucretia L.C. Thomas. Today on the podcast, we're going behind the hustle with political fundraiser guru and co-founder of Young, Ambitious, and Beautiful, Lauren Belour. She is a serial barrier breaker and change maker who can tell you a little bit about getting into rooms that you belong in. Though she may walk into rooms as the first one or the only one, she has committed her career to making the political realm more diverse and inclusive by bridging gaps between minorities, women, and politics. After completing her master's in public policy, Lauren began her political career with the Fellow for the Millennial Mayor's Congress program. In 2014, during her role as the finance director for a Democratic nominee for the Michigan House of Representatives, Lauren helped to raise $800,000 during the campaign election. She was the first African-American female selected as the Female Young Democrat of the Year through the Oakland County Democratic Party, the first and only African-American in her role as the corporate relations and event managers for the Michigan League of Conservation Voters, and lastly, the youngest woman elected as precinct delegate of Precinct 19 in the city of Southfield. Lauren is the co-founder for a women-owned nonprofit organization by the name of YAB, which stands for Young, Ambitious, and Beautiful. It is a young entrepreneur conglomerate for businesses owned by women of color. Through both YAB and Lauren's political career, Lauren has received over 100 publication features, including Crane's Detroit Business, NBC News, Comcast Newsmakers, XO Nicole, and Blavity. Lauren continues to use her extensive business network as well as political network to be both uplifting and resourceful, as well as provide tools for other young women to use as stepping stones to their own personal success. Let's get into it. Hey, Lauren, welcome to the Girl Behind the Hustle show. I'm so happy that we're able to get you on the show today. How are you? Good. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you. And tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself outside of your bio. Sure. So my background um, is in politics and with a side of business, I like to say. Um, I started out in the fundraising realm of politics. I'm so working to raise money for political advocacy organizations um, and also candidates as well. Um, so after enough of working with donors, um, I transitioned into a political director role. So I am the political director for America Votes, um, which means I basically work on political strategy um, for several of our progressive partner organizations, which ranges from Parenthood to ACLU um, to all environmental organizations and all of labor as well. So we work with a huge onset of organizations. And then I'm also um, a city commissioner and precinct delegate. So I pretty much wanted to have a full spectrum political career. And then um, in addition to that, I am the co-founder of YAB, which stands for Young, Ambitious and Beautiful. And it's a venture conglomerate that supports entrepreneurs of color um, and their startups nationally. That's awesome. What's a typical day like for you to kind of balance all of those things? So I get asked that a lot. (laughs) And, you know, the way I balance kind of my life and schedule, um, I typically do things out like two to four weeks in advance. (laughs) So, you know, the good thing is all aspects of my career are able to blend because I think that I'm able to have leadership positions that allow me to balance each. um, And there's a respect for each role that I have in my career. And I know that's hard to find, (laughs) um, but I've just been able to really balance that based off of the people that I worked with. So, you know, precinct delegate, that really more so happens when it's time to vote um, at national conventions Um, or time to support candidates. The meetings are like once a month. Same with uh, being a city commissioner. The meetings are about once a month. 
And then I'm able to have work-life balance as a political director because I'm able, a lot of it has to do with working from home too um, and only having to be at the Capitol once a week. So that's really what helps me do that. And then with YAB, each of my co-founders have a different entity. So I have the business development entity and my other two co-founders have personal development and community engagement and mentorship. So by us splitting up the roles, that allots for me to have a little bit more time to be flexible um, with outreach to our different venture partners, as well as like a series of events um, quarterly, which really I've had to move to yearly. But Mm -hmm. um, all of that has helped me to balance my career. And I know it sounds like a lot, but the thing is, when I look at women that I admire um, in different industries of that nature, but when I look at those women, they all have a lot of different titles and roles and they all successfully execute in each of them. And so I look at where can I bridge gaps in each role that I take on and that's what I focus on. I don't focus on being a jack of all trades. I focus on where can I bridge that gap and be the difference in that particular entity. And I think that type of focus and uh, narrow-minded or narrowed-in thinking has really helped me to balance out my career. That's awesome. What's a, who's a woman that you admire or look up to? So number one, um, from a professional standpoint, would definitely be Shirley Chisholm. I've literally admired her since I was like in sixth grade. And actually, I wrote a poem inspired by Shirley Chisholm called More Than a Woman when I was in sixth grade because Shirley Chisholm has this quote um, about you know, coming out the womb and the doctor acknowledging that it's a girl before she steps out into the world. And so that quote has always stuck with me and I used it to inspire a poem um, about Shirley Chisholm. Also, Aaliyah's More Than a Woman was out at the time. So all of it just coincided. But (laughs) um, I, you know, really always admired her drive, of course, as being the first woman of color to run for president and now considering all of the nominees that we have that are women running for president it's insane this year so um I really really admire her tenacity she doesn't take any mess we just have a lot of similar characteristics professionally um and then I would say personally definitely my mother I think she's like the epitome of being a very balanced woman She's always jovial, so she's, like, in good spirits all the time. And I'm like, I need to take that approach every day to life. Um, But then she also has always balanced having a career, being a mother, being a wife, all of those different roles. And in this 21st century society, I see it's very hard to do. So it's something I aspire to be able to balance in my future as well. So what has been maybe one of the biggest challenges that you've had to face in all of your roles? So I would say one of the biggest challenges that I've had to face is the feeling of being too ambitious or being too much for some people. And the reason I want to be transparent about that, because people always want all of the accolades and praise and awards. But with that comes intimidation. Now, there's two different forms of intimidation. You can have intimidation by women that have the same ethnic makeup as you. Um, You can have intimidation by men. And then you can have intimidation by women who do not have the same ethnic makeup as you. And I've experienced D all of the above. Um, And that kind of goes into why I have always had the mindset of, and it's just a quote that I came up with myself, um, is never dull your diamonds to let rock shine. I have to keep that as my mantra every day because if I didn't, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, especially in my career field, there's a lot of people that want to tell you where they think your career should go because they mm-hmm. want to be able to say they helped you get there or they made you who you are today. And the only person that did that was God and then my two parents <laughs> that made me mm-hmm. who I am today. And my journey and destination has already been outlined I'm just figuring it out as I go like it's already been designed for what I'm going to do in my life it's just that I won't find out until I get to that particular point where I get to witness it myself and so 
I think that though those have been huge challenges. I mean, it has been very, very rough sometimes. There have been jobs I've had to leave. Um, there have been jobs I've wanted to leave. <laughs> and there have been jobs that may have wanted me to leave. Um, and I think all of those things have helped to shape who I am today professionally and personally, but also just made me a very strong person. So it's kind of hard to break me mentally um, by having the foundation that I have to continue to be tenacious um, if I want to get where I want in life. That's awesome. And I think sometimes when we talk about intimidation and we see you and we kind of see you killing it and, you know, with all these accomplishments, but we don't really know exactly what you're experiencing when you get into these rooms. Can you tell us just a little bit about any biases or any negative experiences that you've had in these rooms that from the outside, you know, looks amazing that you're in them, but the things that you're dealing with and how you've overcome those. So the interesting thing about me and my career, right, is that me being a minority as both a woman as well as a a Black woman has actually been an asset to me. And the reason that I say that is because we're kind of in this realm, especially now, where diversity, equity, and inclusion, more so diversity, because equity and inclusion haven't been addressed as much. Um, but we're kind of in the, these spaces um, through society's social construction of, of race and what that means, and gender and what that means, where we kind of... I, I would say society likes to have that token. Um, and I feel that every role that I've been given, because I've always been the first or the only, it's the token, right? So you're in this space where you don't feel excluded because of your race, but you do feel isolated because of your race, because it's not a comfortable feeling for me to be the only one. Now, I know that there's been an era of Black progression, I would say like late 80s, early 90s, where assimilation was, was something that was heralded, right? And it was okay to feel like you want to be the only one in the room. Where we are today, or at least where I am personally, I've never, I was never raised to be okay with that. Now, you know, you want certain levels of success, but if I have to attain it and be the only one and I didn't help anyone else get in the room with me, then I don't feel like that's successful. So I think that that's kind of some experiences that I've had um, and a great, great documentary, because I always reference documentaries to watch that really speaks to this is the documentary on Misty Copeland's career. I honestly felt so connected emotionally to that documentary because I have experienced all of that. It just you're feeling great because you're getting where you are in your career, but you know that statistically the numbers don't really weigh in the favor of your particular background. So that's where the isolation I think comes in to play. Mm -hmm. And speaking about your background, um, what kind of influence or effect do you think is, has had on your success? So I think I would definitely have to kind of bring my parents into play on that because this is a the thing. There's There's been plenty of sociology studies that kind of weigh in on how we choose to interact when you come from certain class levels or certain levels of privilege. And it was interesting because when I was in college, it was like my junior year and I was in a class that was looking at social policy. Um, and what I found to be interesting was that there was this study on looking at people who say, may I, people who say, can I, and people who say, I'll have. Now, I notice that when I go to restaurants or any type of establishment where you're making a request, I always say, I'll have. And there's a direct correlation to how that plays a role in 
how we approach our careers. Are you asking to sit at the table or are you saying, I am going to be at the table? It's completely different. And I think, long story short, to bring that in, I think that type of background, like my parents have always kind of made me comfortable with feeling that I should be at the table. So I've always taken that approach to my career. So I never feel like, oh, I'm not going to get this position because... I'm black or I'm a woman or I've never had this role before and other people might have more experience. I just go in like, I think I deserve this job. This is why. And you're either hiring me or you're not. Uh, Especially the further I've gotten in my career. It's like at this point, the expertise and experience is there. So it's your loss or not. And I think taking that (laughs) approach, um, I know it sounds harsh to some, but I don't think it's harsh. I just think it's honest, you know, and it's just knowing your worth and your value. And so that's kind of been a consistent approach that I've taken throughout every aspect of my life that probably plays a role in my career. Have you always felt supported as you've kind of grown in your career? Have you always felt supported with family and friends? So I, I, okay. I think that because I think that with parents at every point, uh, there's always a point in, in the relationship where they may not understand what direction you're going in. Um, I was originally supposed to go to law school and I decided that that was not for me. That wasn't necessarily taken very well (laughs) because my parents' whole thing was, (laughs) well, what is your plan? Like, where do you go? Like, I always, we always had to have a plan. That's just kind of how I was raised, which is probably why I'm really big on planning. Um, So it was like, what's the game plan? Because you're not just going to be sitting around figuring it out forever. So, you know, at the time I had, I mean, at the time I had an internship at a law firm. I was actually working with, in warranty litigation. Like I completely had, I had done law school programs, um, done mock trial competitions. Like it was pretty much set up for that trajectory. And when I responded, like, I don't know, I'll figure it out. It was not very well received. Now, looking back and my parents and I have had this conversation, they now understand what I was saying, because when I initially said that I was going to look into getting my master's in public policy, which is not typically a program area that many people of color go into, um, but it's ex- extremely a huge asset of a graduate degree. And so because of that, my parents were like, I, I don't understand. What are you about to do with policy? Like, what does that mean? And that also told me that we have a representation issue where if all parents of, uh, especially like it was within the black community, black parents can only see their children kind of working in specific areas that of medicine law practice, um, anything around education or teaching, then that's very limiting. And I think that, you know, I think coming full circle, that has really helped my relationship with my parents that they can now look back and watch. And they've seen all of the accolades and success that have come with my career. But I think that it took me just kind of stepping out on faith and doing my own thing and deciding what my trajectory was going to be to get us there. So there's been support, but it's been a rocky road of support Mm -hmm. (laughs) or a little bump, but um, it it was a slight bump. They had always been very supportive of me, but I think, I just think every parent child relationship goes through that at some point. And I can definitely feel that when you make pivots like that and changes of direction, that it can be kind of nerve-wracking in a way how do you stay motivated in moments of doubt like that when you're making those sorts of changes in your career so I'm a spiritual person so I definitely have to pray my way through because if I didn't I don't know where I would be today (laughs) but I also would say that I've always kind of been like a visionary type individual where I can create it, write it down, and plan to execute it, and this is how it's going to happen. So I'm very calculated in my thinking, and I think that plays a role in in helping to stay motivated because I already see the outcome. Now, everyone else may not see it at the time, but even when 
we decided to start YAB and the, the idea came about. I contacted my co- now co-founders. Um, we had the conversation and I could already see where it was going to go. Now, of course, you have huge surprises that come that may be even better blessings that you didn't see. But I already knew the impact that it would have. And it's the same thing with my career. I think when, like, something is innate in you and it's extremely intrinsic in who you are, it comes naturally. Like, you already know that it's going to be something that you will be successful at. So to stay motivated, you just keep speaking over it. Um, and now I have, I got this idea from a friend, but I now have a wall of intention where I have to speak over everything that I want to come to fruition. Of course, you have to put the work in too, but it's just a constant reminder of saying it out loud. Oh, I love that. I think I need to create that in my house too. I love that idea. Please feel free. have that visual <laughs> reminder. I think sometimes we just need that visual reminder just to look up and to see your intentions. That's amazing. I love that idea. Yeah. And the positive thing about it and the reason I did it, a friend of mine did it for her, for her areas of her life, especially her career and literally Mm -hmm. everything she said happened. And that I am not, I've actually been able to witness that. I'm super proud of her. And I feel like for myself, when I tried it out and I, this past year and I actually watched everything happened that I said I was like wow like we really do have a lot of power over our thinking power over manifesting our own destiny and I think when you actually see it come to play and you see the power of that intention you can really start to really gravitate you know the aspect of your hustle so to speak that Mm -hmm that actually has tangible results, you know? And so I, I really love doing it. And it also made me be more specific about things because you can say you want certain things, but when you have to write it out, you have to be a lot more specific. Right. Exactly. And working towards your goals and with building YAB, can you even tell me about a time where maybe you experienced a loss or you felt forward something that kind of was a perceived loss, but now you see, you know, what good came out of it? The only thing I can think of, because with YAB, we're super intentional as well. And there's three of us, so you have to be a lot more grounded with that. But I would say the only thing I can think of was we were supposed to have a television feature on a new segment. And I did the outreach to book it but we were doing it for a partnered event with another organization. And long story short, the organization basically reached out to the news anchor and said, no, this is our thing. Like they completely negated our involvement. Um, it was pretty, it was pretty harsh. I mean, and pretty cutthroat the way they did it. But looking back, you know, nothing good comes of, intentional harm and Mm -hmm. I've just seen how far we've gone since then like no we didn't have that particular news segment but now looking back having you know now having Comcast newsmakers and NBC news it's far greater than that little news segment no shade but you know right just being honest and so if anything it's kind of I think taught us to like keep things in house and it's sad that that has to be the case but we're really specific about like how we go about media outreach and partnerships and collaborations and we're super hands-on with that so it was a learning lesson I think we were only like a year in so of course you don't know that initially but now seven years later You know, we definitely know how to go about those types of situations and it's no love loss on our end. So, <laughs> And what else do we not see behind it all, behind your hustle and everything that you're doing? What don't we see? So I don't think that a lot of people see the critical analysis of myself. So I am, one, a type A personality. Two... I'm extremely competitive. Three, 
I'm an only child. <laughs> so it's like that whole combination. That combination <laughs> it's like four, I'm also an extrovert. Five, I'm extremely no nonsense. So people do not see, like people don't see, one thing I don't do is um, I'm very intentional about like branding. So I don't really put a lot of personal opinion on social media. Um, so no one has to ever worry about seeing something subliminal for me. I'm just, one, I'm grown, so I don't have time for that. But I think also too, I don't do it um, because everyone doesn't need to see the ups and downs of my thinking. Like, yeah, some people have definitely gotten told off by me. They know who they are. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I have moments. Um, I will go from zero to 100. Um, but people don't see the work and progress to be self-aware and knowing that you have to be a lot uh, slower. I call it slower to anger and quicker to love. You just have to. Mm-hmm. Um, also everything does not need a reaction. So I've had to learn that as well. Then also too, people don't see the perfectionism. I call it perfection complex, which I do have a sense of that a little bit. Um, it's just who I am as a person. It's a, it's honestly just a work in progress. You know, I have to learn that like, it's okay for me to make a mistake. And it's not like I even have pressure from my parents to be perfect or pressure from friends to be perfect it's a personal thing it's literally just something that I have I mean I've had conversations with my mom where she's like okay you need to calm down like it's it's not even that serious like I'm just like (laughs) it is to me you know so um you know or she'll be like you need to get off your laptop and you just need to chill and not work so much. Like it's a holiday weekend, you know what I mean? Like things like that. And so I've had to really learn to balance that out. And I think that that just comes from the type of personality characteristics I have, you know? So I don't think that a lot of people see that aspect of me. Also too, I'm not, I don't, you know, wear my heart on my sleeve, so to speak. So you really have to get to know me to know a lot of the inner thoughts and emotions that I may have. Um, So I don't think people see that aspect either, unless they're extremely close to me. And even some of those people don't. So Mm -hmm. um, a lot of things are discussed like internally with myself. (laughs) And so um, you know, those things come with, again, having a drive and a hustle. You know, there are a lot of things that you weigh out yourself and you're probably pretty hard on yourself. But when you see the results and you see the impact that it has on other people, you feel like it's worth it, you know. And so when your mom's like, you need to chill, you need to rest. Like, what do you do? What does rest and self-care look like for you? So last year again, with my wall of intention, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I decided to start something called self-care Saturdays. And it's like once a month, I unfortunately skipped a few Saturdays around election season. So I owe it to myself. Um, But it got pretty busy around like October through December and the holidays too. But Um, I pick a different activity each time and it's like my version of self-care. So I may go to the spa. I may do a mani-pedi. Sometimes I I love art museums. Like I can go to an art museum in every single state, country, everything. Like it's just something I love to do um, because I love art and I used to do art myself. So which is probably something most people don't know. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I really, really have an affinity for that. Um, I also listen to a lot of music. I love music. Also used to play um, the flute and the oboe. So um, I know how to compose. It's just, I'm really, really into music. So that is a very calming thing for me as well. Just listening. I'll spend like an hour listening to music back to back. Um, and these are again things that probably no one knows actually, um, outside of my parents. So, you know, these are different self-care tactics for me. I also, you know, will do yoga from time to time. 
Um, it's sometimes working out as a lot of work. So it's like, <laughs> I, can't, I don't always count it as self-care. It's like, this is just an activity. You know, you know it really is. <laughs> I love yoga, but then you leave and you're sweaty. Yeah, <laughs> like you stretch. really put some work it in. It looks good. It looks amazing. But every single time I'm like, oh my God, why am I right. hurting the next day? <laughs> and it's like, oh, I actually exercised. Okay. Yes. And that's why I like, now I do themed yoga. So, like, now they have hip-hop yoga, trap yoga, R&B yoga. Like, that's, like, I, like, that's fun. And then now they set it up where, like, you can do yoga and you can go to breweries after or they have wine provided. Oh, wow. That okay. kind of stuff I like to see. Like, yeah, I'm here for that type of yoga. <laughs> that type of yoga, sign me up. Yeah. But these <laughs> days after my abs are hurting, my core is sore. I, I don't want that yoga. It's too much. <laughs> So you said you really enjoy listening to music. What's on your um what's in your headphones right now? What's on repeat? What song are you listening to on repeat? Oh, I have a lot. Um uh, so I actually because I'm also again kind of anal and organized, <laughs> and like my I have different title playlists for different moods. So I have Lauren's Vibe Tribe playlist. So that's like SZA, Janae Aiko, Summer Walker, which Summer Walker is probably on my playlist the most recently. I love her. I feel like she's so underrated. I love her. And she's so like... She's awesome. She's really this new wave of like the antithesis of the entertainment industry. Like Mm -hmm. I saw that with Chance the Rapper, Childish Gambino, Kendrick, Salon. Yep. But like Summer Walker's really like, I could care less. I'm literally just performing. And like a lot of artists are doing that now. Daniel Caesar, her, like, and I really like their vibe. It's like they're really about the music. So, yeah, exactly. That, that playlist has like a really, if you're looking for a real chill mood, that's it. And then I have like Lauren's Conscious Awakening playlist that has like Buddy and you know, Gil Scott Heron on it, Nina Simone, like, Mm -hmm. the range, and then I have my Golden Girl playlist, which is, like, Stevie, Cool in the Gang, (laughs) I love it. Uh, So there's so much range. I have, like, a Pop Princess playlist, um, because, you know, it was the night. I'm really diverse. (laughs) Yeah. There's, like, some Nevada on there, and Sugar Ray and No Doubt and <laughs> um, gotta have that mix. Yes, so it's like oh, oh and then my praise and worship playlist, um, which uh, I have Todd Delaney and Fresh Start. Like some of those newer artists, I really like their vibe too. Um, so it's a range, but I definitely have one for every mood, and there's like over a hundred songs on each, so there's tons to listen to. That's <laughs> awesome. What advice would you give someone who's trying to do what you currently do? So the first set of advice I would give is do not let other people dictate the outcomes of your career. They do not know your journey. They do not know what was spoken into your vision. So in order, I feel like in order to get where I have gotten, I could not listen to. And I've had a lot of people try to tell me what they think I should do. Oh, you should you know, do this, or you should work here, or I would suggest you work here, and I've listened to none of them, Um, because I think especially when it comes from an older subset of a generation, the reason I say that is because it's not that they don't have great advice, like, I definitely can listen to someone who's older and wiser. I think when it comes to career and lifestyle, our generations are just really different. Like, we are all about a vibe. We are all about being content and, and, and eternally happy. And we don't believe in staying at some job just to get our feet wet or say, well, I'm just coming here for the experience. Granted, you want to build your career and build your network and experience. But I don't think that you need to do the pay your dues mindset because you can pay your dues starting out in that dream job position or, you know, some other role, it doesn't have to necessarily be what I was someone's assistant or it doesn't have to be anything lower than what you're trying to go for. Again, 
it's great experience, but I just think that, and it's not a knock on those roles if that's what you want to do, but I just don't think that people should go in limiting themselves because, and I say this especially for people of color. That's mainly who I'm directing that at because there are, there's a whole demographic of people and I'm speaking specifically about white men who do not operate like that. They never think twice about whether they're good enough for a position. So why should you go in and think that way and say, well, I'm going to start here because I'm not, you know, I don't feel that I am deserving to be in a different place. And so that's just why I say that because I've had people say it to me. Um, and I said, you know, I respect your opinion. I won't be taking it. But, um, you know, I'll be doing this my way. And um, I just, I honestly just don't think that I would be where I am if it weren't for that. Also, too, it's okay to, like, network your way to a position. So every position that I've had um, in politics, I actually talked my way into getting those positions. I still had to interview because, you know, it's formal. But... I typically had a meeting with someone from the organization or um, particular if it was on campaigns, et cetera, prior to. So I pretty much had already had a conversation with them, you know, basically saying, here's what I bring to the table. And then I did the interview part. And I was, yeah, it was basically for every role, actually. So I don't, you know... I am also someone that doesn't necessarily do things the formalized way. I mean, even for college, the only time I actually filled out an application in a, for an academic setting was for my master's program. Like, for undergrad, I actually did on-sites for every school I applied to. So I just had to do an interview, and then I was in. So I'm not used to this whole, like, like I'm definitely not the best person to come to if you want to do something in a formalized way, because I don't necessarily do that. At all. <laughs> yeah, pretty much at all. You know? Um, you know, I, and I say that, so a funny story. Um, so when I was in college, um, I so with math and foreign language you could pretty much test out coming into college which a lot of universities let you do that um, or you can test test into like a second year and then you only have to take like one or two semesters and so instead of having to take more classes so for my foreign language I took German all through high school and I tested into second year German so that way I can just do the foreign language requirements and getting over with And so all of the German classes were allegedly in the morning. Now, I am not a morning person. I'm very (laughs) transparent about that. Um, And I was like, you know, I really want to be able to do the work and be in class, but this is not really working for me. Like this whole, I'm not going to be up at 8. I'm not going to be here at 8.30. So I actually had a conversation with the professor, and I was like, you know, look, I really value your class, but this morning thing is not working for me. Like, I'm just going to be really honest. Like, I don't see me making it to class, like, regularly. (laughs) So I asked him if I could come in during, like, office hours or, like, his lunch period, and I just have the class there. And that's what I did for an entire semester. I literally never went in the morning. This is why I say that. I'm not the best person. If you don't plan to go for it and deserve it, I am not the best person to come for advice because I'm going to be like, you do what you need to do to make it happen. You know, I just know that I wasn't about to fail out of a class because I didn't want to get up in the morning and I wasn't about to like, just not have to take the class. So we need to make this work. Like this is, I'm paying for this, okay? Not you. So it's transactional. Like, I'm trying to figure out how to get my money's worth and get your time worth. And I'm not, if you already have office hours anyway, why wouldn't we just do this during, like, I don't understand why we can't make it happen. So. (laughs) It's true, though. There's so many different paths to get there. But I feel like for so long, we've all kind of have followed the same path or we just weren't aware that if we maybe offer something else that the person would accept it because we just try to stick with, you know, stay on this path. I'm just going to do what they said to do. No, you got to do what you got to do. 
Exactly. And like, it's the same thing with, I didn't know, um, I didn't find this out until like the literal last course of my master's program that you can do independent studies. And I knew you could do it, but I thought that it had to be like a separate course or semester. I didn't know you could do it per class. Like if something doesn't work out for your schedule, you can do an independent study. And so once I found that out, I was like, oh, that's an option. And so the professor was like, yeah, I mean, that's an option. So I literally did an independent study for my last course in my master's program. And it literally was us just getting on the phone weekly. We figured out what times worked for us. And we just scheduled it. I mean, you can also do like they had tea time as an offer. We just have tea and talk about you literally are talking out the program. So you don't you turn in one last paper, but you literally talk out the program weekly and then you just turn in one paper. See, that works for me. I right, exactly. And then you get a four point. See what I'm saying? That's way easier because yep. I feel like I'm better with the dialogue than I am sitting there and like having to be in your class all day. I got to listen to other people's opinions. This is just too much. Like, I, don't, I have other <laughs> stuff I could be doing. Like, So I just have always been the type of person like, let's make this work for both of us. I want to respect you and your time and vice versa, you know? I think the only time that I actually had to live up to like making sure I was in class was, it was one class I had previously with a professor and this was an undergrad and I basically came late or didn't show up to quite a few classes. So he technically, you're supposed to get that knocked down 0.5 if you miss a couple of, I don't know. I never really read the syllabus for classes, so I didn't know that. So I had a conversation with him and I was like, look, I'm a very loyal person. So I have a course with you next semester. If you just give me my 0.5, just please, <laughs> like, please don't take that 0.5 away from me, then I will make sure I'm in your class every single day that next semester. And he held me to it. And I came every single day. I was on time. Like, oh I was like, I was, I'm loyal, but like, I just, that wasn't working for me that semester. I, like, <laughs> I don't really feel like being here. <laughs> Like you got, you know, you just got to figure out what works for you. Exactly, that's the moral of this story. Figure out what works for you. Again, I'm not telling people to do this my way. I would always encourage my future children to go to class, but I just have always been someone that's been like that. But I think those negotiating skills, and believe me, there are more stories from childhood that I will not say that like. I've been me negotiating to get something, <laughs> but um, I think those skills are an asset to your career and helping to, especially if you would like to be in my industry, if I'm telling someone about following my industry, like find out how you can best make a situation work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean you're trying to manipulate a situation or maneuver. It's more so that you realize that there actually are avenues where you because the thing is even if I'm showing up during an office hour or I'm making this negotiation with whether it's a professor or an employer or whatever I'm still giving my time so I never took away from that I'm not trying to skip out on that I'm just trying to do it where I can be coherent and take in the information that you would like me to take in so I think that those are definitely things assets to being in my industry because you know we don't have a micromanaging industry well I would say more so when you start to get into director roles like I'm not micromanaged I pretty much have to decide make decisions every day um, that impact other people and it's really a requirement of being self-sufficient but I don't think I would have had that if I didn't practice those things in the academic realm of my career or any other aspects too and what are you working on right now so outside of just always being busy because politics is nonstop, um I actually created a Lauren's Law politics segment of my personal website and I love it because, you know, you get asked a lot of questions about resources for people who want to be more politically engaged, especially after a major election season. 
And mm-hmm. I really, really love that. I love that people want to know more about how to be engaged, how to learn more. Learning is is constant. It never stops. So I actually created something where I broke down candidate information and then I called it noir politics, which is black politics, and then femme politics, which is women in politics, and then femme noir politics. Um, and then I have like voter education and mobilization, political publications, documentaries, policy news. And I think it could be really advantageous to others because I don't think I could see myself working in my industry and I don't provide resources to people who don't, right? So it's kind of like if someone works in the medical field and we're always concerned about our health, like having someone to do that or someone who works in marketing and advertising and someone that can break down that aspect of that industry and how we can utilize it in our lives. It it just makes the world more cohesive because we're able to all learn from one another. So I hope that like people feel free to take advantage of that um, and just learn more about the industry in general um, not just from simply a voting perspective. Mm-hmm. And then this part of the show is called the Real Deal Moment, where you just give listeners a little kind of a deeper dive into who you are. Um, name a quote, a verse, or a mantra that keeps you encouraged. So I already shared by accident. <laughs> Never dull your diamonds to let rock shine. But also another one that I choose to live by, which... It's really another quote of myself, but um, it's something that I said I at the age of 14 and it stuck with me. It's we can't break down the barriers in society without first breaking down the barriers within ourselves. That's awesome, especially at 14. I love that one. Um, a tool or app or something that helps manage your life or work that you couldn't live without. So... The first one that I'm going to use actually is Slack. I really love Slack and it's become extremely popular. I use it for work. I use it for personal um, and I use it for like professional development. So I'm a part of a lot of different Slack groups and I will share them because, you know, I think the audience could benefit from that. some Slack groups that I love. Um, one is the Memo, and a woman by the name of Minda Hartz. I love Minda. Um, she runs the Memo, and she has a Slack group for it. Um, and that's uh, that's a very supportive group because it's all about you know professional women knowing their worth um, and different resources to that. And then there's Ladies Get Paid. Um, Ladies Get Paid is a national platform. They have different Ladies Get Paid chapters, city to city. And I found that to be pretty useful. Um, the different Slack channels include like advice and mentorship resources. Um, then there's just general talk, money, salary negotiations. Um, and then there's inclusion and diversity as well. And That's then- awesome. I am not familiar with Slack at all. Oh There's my gosh, one more you should definitely yeah. use this. <laughs> and it's an app you can download? Yes, yeah, so you can download Slack. I always, the way I first got into it, because I, you receive an invitation from the groups, right? So, um, like, all of the group, I'm a part of, like, eight or nine different Slack groups. Um, I would suggest for people to have Slack groups for different reasons. So, of course, I have, like, my work Slack group is really primarily with work. But the different channels allow you to log into the channels that you feel like pertain to you. So that's what's really good about it because you're having these different community conversations in those particular Slack groups. And I think for work, it's really beneficial because you may not want to know what's going on with another department. I mean, it just could be too much, you know, considering Mm -hmm. email as well. So you can, it really helps you focus in on whatever that topic is in that channel. Um, And then we actually have a national uh, diversity partner coalition within our Slack group. Um, So there are like groups within a group too. Um, So like, for instance, I'm also with Minorities in Media Connect. 
Um, and those are two dope women out of New York who uh, started minorities in media. And there's like pretty much, I mean, there's so many different people nationally. That one's the only co-ed one. Well, I'm a part of two other co-ed ones, but really mainly like men and women of color that mm-hmm. uh, work professionally in different cities and they have like opportunities. I've actually gone to my Slack groups for travel advice, like, because you're with so many young professionals um, city to city and, you know, they it was really helpful. Like I used it for New Orleans, Cuba. I mean, cause they're travel channels too that you can look at. So you just connect with so many different people I think I was going to Afropunk and I connected with someone in New York and I was like, do you want my extra ticket? Like in the memo. Yeah. So it just, it is, I would definitely say that's been a great addition to my life. Um, as I'll as, definitely as, check that out. Yeah. As networking. And then um, I have other like professional entities that like I use probably not as much, but Level League and Landed are great apps that kind of, like, help you design your professional career. I'm someone that already was doing it. Like, I write it down anyway, so I don't always put it onto the digital screen. But um, I I still think Level and Landed are awesome um, tools to use, too. Awesome. And what do you want people to say about you when you aren't in the room? I want people to say that she's well-respected because she respects herself. And fill in the blank, my name is, and one truth about the hustle is. My name is Lauren, and one truth about the hustle is that it's already within me. Oh, nice. I heard that. I love that. (laughs) Thank you. And thank you so much, Lauren, for taking time out of your hustle to share your story with us. Please let my listeners know how they can connect with you. So you can connect with me through my personal website, which is www.lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N, B-L-O-R, B as in boy, E-A-L-O-R-E.com. Um, that has direct access to my email, LinkedIn, and Facebook. But if you want to go directly to LinkedIn without going through the personal website, then it's just my government name for LinkedIn, as well as Facebook. And Instagram um, is at DJ Bees, it's DJ B-E-A-Z. And my nickname throughout my entire life has been bees so that's probably why (laughs) if anyone's wondering uh, how I got that Instagram name (laughs) awesome well thank you so much I really appreciate you taking your time out to do this interview today thank you and I love the girl behind the hustle platform and love what you guys are doing so I was happy to speak with you today awesome thank you so much I appreciate that all right Thanks so much for listening to the episode this week. Please rate, subscribe, and share the podcast. I would love to hear from you. You can connect with Girl Behind the Hustle on Instagram or Facebook at Girl Behind the Hustle or by email at heygirl at girlbehindthehustle.com. Please subscribe to become a part of our community. And you know what this week? Do not dull your diamonds to let rock shine. Shine unapologetically. Until next week, hustle and grace.